My like toilet is haunted. It's <laughs> <Just>, like gurgling. <laughs> this is a classic <laughs> Emily situation, just like completely out of nowhere. That sounds like a problem. This is gonna be the best book you ever read. Like this is your new favorite book. Off the internet, man. Oh, I need to go be an introvert. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Books in the City. I'm Libby. I'm Kayla. I'm Emily. And I'm Becky. And we're four internet book friends who became real book friends friends who now have a podcast where we talk about four new books every week and hopefully you want to read them <laughs> i don't know we're all clearly very high energy after our really fun weekend um if you're listening this is the first episode we've recorded after returning it's gonna come out way later so you might have already forgot about our little retreat by now but <laughs> Um, we're all pooped, to say the least, I'd say, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Good night, everyone. Uh, <laughs> a post vacay. Uh, hang out. Well, yeah. Need a vacation, vacation from our vacation. Over. Yeah. I wish I took yesterday <laughs> off work. It's I think I just want to stop working. Well, yeah. That's like a different conversation, though. <laughs> I feel like. Um, it was also, I think, for the most part, our, well, not Libby, but the rest of us, our first kind of, like, trip, like, real trip post-pandemic. Wait, yeah. it was mine, too. What do you mean? S- weren't you in Baltimore? Oh, yeah, but, like, visiting a friend. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, our fir- all of our first, like, real <laughs> trip post-pandemic, so it, it was, like, a lot of, like, kind of normal stuff all at once I feel like which is also takes a lot of energy when you've kind of been not doing normal stuff for a year plus so moral of the story is we're tired <laughs> and we have announcements but this to is make. gonna be a fun episode we'll wake up yeah we'll yeah, wake up born yeah. tired announcements I hope uh, everyone has gotten the chance to get their copy of honey girl by Morgan Rogers and maybe even dipped in at this point um i'm so excited to discuss that one with all of our patreon fan club book club members uh, uh starting next week ish so stay tuned in the discord channel and um in the patreon actually it's probably been announced right what we're reading first whatever you'll you'll have all the information you need so can't wait this is the I'm struggle with recording ahead we don't know what's happening we're at like the mcu we're on different timelines it's like yeah multiverse to go back and make sure That's that exactly you don't it's like run into your past self you know exactly breaking the universe over here <laughs> another announcement i want to make is everybody go ahead and get out your phone. Oh, you're probably listening on your phone. <laughs> um, and go to booksinthecitypod.com because we still have plenty of merch available to you and lots of other fun things on the website. But um, we still have koozies available, not a ton. So with summer coming back around, now's your chance to get them. And I don't know if we're ever going to restock this time. So get them while you can. So one last announcement. We thought it would be fun now that everyone's getting vaccinated and things are kind of opening up more to host, I guess, a tri-state area meetup in New York City towards the end of the summer where we can meet you guys, you can meet us, we can all hang out, have fun, maybe in Central Park. That's where I imagine this. So I'm just throwing that out there. Me too. <laughs> um, I'd go. And yeah, let us know <laughs> if that's something. That's good, Emily. <laughs> Glad. Good. Let us know if that's something you guys would be interested in. And if like late August or maybe early September works better for you, we want to make sure as many people can come as possible and look at planning. Yay. That'll be so much fun. Yeah. Emily, how did the fish fare on the return journey? Well, since Libby is such a good driver, they fared just fine. Not even a drop of water was spilled. <laughs> wow. Well done. I find that hard to believe. 
<laughs> I believe the word you're looking for is thank you for the compliment. And by word, I mean phrase. <laughs> Ooh, wow. Um, but yeah, they, they're hanging out and they've got something to say. And the fish want to know, what's something new we learned about each other from the retreat? such a good I question. can't wait to hear the answers to this question. <laughs> Who's going first? Mm, I gotta think about this because I do feel like in general everybody was exactly themselves <laughs> if that makes sense like how I know you guys to be. Yeah well I've got one that I, I Kayla I didn't know you didn't eat eggs. <laughs> I guess it never came up in conversation, but Kayla doesn't eat eggs. Yeah, I but she like, tried oh. really hard. I tried really hard like two months ago to like eggs. I was like making them and like ordering omelets in and stuff, and it's just never gonna happen. Is it a texture or a taste? <laughs> it's okay. Um, right, you weren't there for this conversation, so I hate them because of the smell, and I have like very vivid memories of like on the weekends my house smelling like. I like the smell of bacon, but my house would smell like bacon and eggs because my mom would make it like for her and my brother. And I would hate when she made them. And then that turned me off from ever wanting to eat them. And then when I tried to start eating them, I can't get into the texture. Like it feels like there's like foam in my mouth. Oh, God. It's so gross. Interesting. Yeah. I love eggs in all of the forms that you can eat them yeah, in. Yeah, I too. love eggs. Um, something I learned specifically about Emily... And I complimented her in a really backhanded way over the weekend. Emily really can <laughs> sing because she jokingly does it a lot on the podcast. But then when you're in the car with <laughs> Emily, you hear little harmonies coming out of the back seat. And you're wondering, <laughs> who's harmonizing right now? And it's Emily. So <laughs> under my breath, I always quiet. sing quietly <laughs> under my breath. <laughs> you shouldn't. You should let it out. That's Aww, what thanks, I learned. Guys. I will... Usually when I'm in the car, I try to harmonize. This weekend was a really successful harmony weekend for me. A lot of times, sometimes I'll get it from like whoever I'm riding with. Like, oh, do you do you know this song? If it comes off really bad, so <laughs> sometimes during the songs, I'd be listening and I'd be like, oh, I had never noticed that harmony before in this <laughs> song, but it was just Emily, backup vocalist for hire. Am I overselling? Probably. (laughs) No, it was impressive. Thank you. Theater day is paying off. I would say, which I feel like this sounds so lame, but Olivia, I was very impressed with your driving because I get nervous sometimes with new people. And I was like, this is like a long trip, but I felt very safe the whole time. Even in this city, we're on a bumpy road when we got back into the city. Me and Emily were like, we're on a (laughs) roller coaster. But you did a very good yeah, job. Thanks. I am a good driver. I'll accept that. Um, actually, right <laughs> after I dropped, so I dropped everyone off in the at Kayla's in Manhattan, and then I had to like zigzag back to get on the Williamsburg Bridge, and I did almost get hit by a bike. So, oh no. Oh, no. Well, they're like yeah, zipping everywhere. It, I mean, this is boring content but I was making a left and (laughs) there was a break in the cars but a car that was double parked was blocking a little moped bike situation that was zooming through so I like started the turn and then there were pedestrians crossing and then the bikes there and I'm getting honked at and yelled at and so I was glad to be alone during that part of the drive. Another note about Libby's driving I was shocked that she's able to keep her cool and navigate while music is at full blast <laughs> and there are two people <laughs> belting the songs oh, yeah. <laughs> because for me Emily is driven with me if I need to think it has to be quiet like sorry I can't answer you meanwhile Libby's like having a full conversation with me they're screaming in the back and she's able to navigate, and I don't understand Becky's underselling how that her works. skills. I also felt really safe with Becky. Now, if I were driving, watch out, friends. <laughs> it's never, <laughs> yeah, not allowed. Um, okay, for Becky, I I don't think I learned anything new because I feel like you and I have like similar anxieties, and I like we I knew what to expect. Like you had everything planned, and you're up 
early, like doing your yoga and having breakfast. And it was just everything I figured that you would do. And you're exactly how I always imagined. I will say we were talking about this itinerary and um, it was a flexible itinerary, which is really nice. Yeah. As I said yeah. from the beginning, uh, it would my be... favorite Becky is you have a good, you do have a good eye for like vintage stuff, you know. I've never we never like thrifted together before. It was fun to see what everyone, like what caught everyone's eye at the shops. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I I learned that Emily, um, when she gets into vacation oh, mode, yeah, she balls out. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and Libby likes yeah. balls. I never and knew that. It like kept popping up. She <laughs> like, likes wolves. wolves. She was wearing a wolf. I was like, how did I not know this? It's all over her. <laughs> Something I learned also about <laughs> Becky. This is all over the place. I feel like we're like. And another thing I learned. It's um, probably entertaining for somebody. But like Becky, I knew you had good style, but I feel like I was witness to your like putting an outfit together this weekend in a way that I'm not normally where you were like. Okay, oh. temperature, like, here are my options. Here's what I'm going to do. And you pulled out these, like, really cute, very different, varied looks. So it was, I guess I didn't learn, but Thank I, like, you. learned about the back process of that, which was fun. <laughs> well, thanks. Also, Kayla's a quick shopper. She, like, walked out of the, I didn't know till you put your post yeah. what you bought. I was like, you did? Wasn't I with you the whole time? Yeah. You were like, boom. I don't like to browse for long. I can like tell right away if I no. like something. I'm or like, not. let me stare at everything. Let me touch everything. Let me read all the plaques in the town. Let me be the last oh, one out of something the I store. <laughs> Emily has to. <laughs> Emily is the ultimate like mom tourist where she like yeah. stops to read every plaque, which I appreciate, but she takes a photo <laughs> of every plaque as if she's and gonna like go back through her camera roll rereading them all. <laughs> And it's like we get to a new location, we get out of the car, and Emily's like, all right, guys, turn around. Let me get a picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the parking lot. <laughs> it's so cute. I feel like Emily has on vacation the mom wow. um, title, and Libby has dad <laughs> title. <laughs> Love it. Thank you. Yes. And I can't really even explain why. I think it's like the, yeah. the calm driving. And but I'm not a regular mom. Know. I'm a cool mom. <laughs> well when becky and libby were building the fire i, I mean emily were like dancing they were being productive like, they were problem solving we were staring at the three stars in the sky <laughs> <laughs> still pissed uh, it was foggy I also learned that none of us know how to flirt but maybe i <laughs> oh yeah. yeah there was some <laughs> we really are also that might try to wing woman that might be more due to covid and like lack of human <laughs> contact we can i don't know <laughs> there were some flourishing That's prospects true. that is true that died in the water <laughs> did not flourish everyone was trying to set kayla up with everyone in kingston new york so yeah <laughs> That's yeah true. yeah yeah, so shout out to the um, oyster shucker. Oh what if he's and a listener? man who one day was super friendly and the next yeah. day didn't care? Weird vibes out here. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Oh. Yeah. Well, if you uh, would like to see a very fun behind the scenes video of all the footage that I took from the trip, that was outside of our very erratic Instagram stories. Uh, make sure you join our fan club because we're going to be posting a very cute emo um, video. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. We're clearly trying to like spread this trip out for months and months until we can do our next one. Forever. <laughs> and we are definitely trying to spread it out and we can continue to spread it out because we still have plenty of songs left on our <laughs> 12 plus hour playlist that we Thank made God. before the trip. So um, if you are not, if you didn't get the newsletter where we linked to it, um, we'll put a link in our Instagram bio so that you can link to the playlist and join along with us because it is a really fun one. I just want to say one thing I learned about all of us, and I said it to Becky like in the kitchen of the Airbnb, but I already knew we were all so different, but even just like how we're all dressed every day. Like we have such very different distinct personalities and I've never had a friend group 
like this but I think that's what makes us work so well because even when we were like branched off like in different groups like it worked and then we come together and it still all works and like we're so similar but we're really also different it's true yeah we really are the the four amigas cheetahs friends for life guys (laughs) should we talk about books I think so probably okay can I go first oh why do I sound like I'm crying okay (laughs) (laughs) um is it a sad book no no it's not at all i am talking about eat a peach by david chang and gabe ola ula this came out in september 2020 and i was so pleasantly surprised by this book i loved it so much and it was like so much more than i thought it was going to be um or I guess I got so much more out of it than I thought I was going to is a better way to say that. Um, Before I talk about it, just some content warnings. Uh, The book goes into alcoholism, substance abuse, suicidal ideation, death, and grief. So it's definitely dealing with a wide range of really heavy and difficult topics. So... um, As always, if you don't want to hear about these things, I'm not going to talk too much about any of that, but definitely feel free to skip my section. Um, These show notes have timestamps. So anyway, yeah, so Eat a Peach is a memoir. Uh, I listened to the audiobook, which was read by David Chang, the author, but he, David Chang is the founder of uh, Momofuku Noodle Bar. Oh, I yeah, I recognize that name. Yeah, which is like the New York restaurant. Um, now, I mean, now it's like a national and worldwide chain. Like he has found a ton of success in this restaurant. And he, I know he has a Netflix show and a huge podcast. And he's like definitely become kind of a celebrity chef or I don't really know what qualifies that. But he's like a name in the um, restaurant world and I think beyond at this point. So Momofuku was started in 2004 and I didn't even put this together because I feel like ramen places nowadays are so prevalent in New York. Like every block you can get ramen or like there's a million ramen places on Seamless or you can just like very easily access ramen. But in 2004, it was not a thing. So he was kind of like, wow. Yeah, he was kind of maybe not a pioneer of the movement but he was definitely one of the first to like bring this food tradition to New York which was cool to read about also like I said it's his memoir I always kind of feel weird talking about memoirs because it's like how am I going to critique the way someone told the story of their life but Mm. so I'm just going to kind of like touch on the interesting parts to me so most of it is kind of about David Chang's life post moving to New York working in restaurants, like attending culinary school and deciding he wanted to open his own restaurant. But there is a little bit about his upbringing. Uh, He grew up in Virginia and he was the son of Korean immigrants. And this kind of plays into some stuff that he unpacks and gets like pretty vulnerable about like later in the memoir. It was kind of interesting to hear about his connection to food. And I know... Emily, when you talked about Saigon, you kind of touched on like first or second generation kids in America, like kind of trying to assimilate and distance themselves maybe from their like culture heritage. So it was interesting to hear him talk about that because he, like I said, he grew up in Virginia. You got the sense that there weren't a ton of uh, Korean American kids around him. So he was always trying to distance himself from like the food that his family would make and you know would like always go for like the chicken nuggets or just like Mm. trying to kind of fit in in that way so I feel like the stories that he told about that experience added some interesting insight into you know the stories that he told later about Momofuku especially because I think one of the like principles of Momofuku is to just keep it really simple and to like make really good food that chefs would want to eat rather than Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. 
you know, the top of the line, like highest quality ingredients and that kind of maybe fluffier part of restaurant culture that I feel like he makes a point to like kind of avoid the frillier aspects of like owning a restaurant in New York. And it was interesting to see how that was influenced by his childhood. Like I said, he doesn't spend a ton of time on childhood. Most of that section, he also spends talking about how he was just like the most average kid. Like he got pretty bad grades. He like almost didn't pass, you know, classes and that was kind of the tone of the entire book. Like he really wants you to know that he's like not shit and just like nothing special. And he humble. It's yeah, it's humble and it was like self-deprecating, but not necessarily in an annoying way. But he, he has like a very funny kind of deadpan self-deprecating tone, which was fun to listen to. Basically, he's super driftless after college. Uh, I think he gets just kind of like a temp office job and it's like soul sucking and he hates it. And that is when he decides to talk to his dad and see if his dad will invest in him starting a restaurant. So his dad stakes like his entire livelihood on this dream but it was interesting because David Chang like definitely thought it wasn't going to make it a year. His another running th- theme throughout the book was just that he like expects everything to fail, everything that he touches. And Aww. he kind of has this mentality of like um he's he's approaching everything from this angle of like I have nothing to lose. Like nothing matters. It's it's almost like nihilistic. And mm. he talks a lot in the book about his personal struggle with depression and anxiety and bipolar disorder, which I guess I probably should have the depression and anxiety probably also deserved uh, trigger warnings at the beginning of this. But it's something that I think he was super candid and open about and especially moving to New York and joining this um, pretty intense industry like exacerbated like he's super open about moving here and like throwing his his life into this restaurant work and not really taking care of himself and like being kind of surrounded by people all the time but also deeply lonely and like that whole feeling that I think is kind of relatable maybe for a lot of people when they first move here, even if they're not trying to open a restaurant. You know, it's just like a difficult place, I think, in the beginning, and he captured that really well. Otherwise, I mean, I was kind of just jumping all over, but the rest of the book talks a lot about the um, early setbacks and successes and failures uh, with Momofuku. He talks about, like, basically not being up to health code in the East Village and like sewage backup constantly and like the struggle of just like day-to-day opening a restaurant and how difficult that is which I knew but I don't know he really doesn't sugarcoat any of it and it was kind of like equally horrifying and disturbing to read but also um, fun because it made me like miss going to good restaurants in New York or just the feeling of like oh I heard this was written about in the New York Times like I'm not even the biggest Mm -hmm. restaurant person but just that like kind of excitement that I think you a lot of New Yorkers experience when they go to a a hot new restaurant he Mm -hmm. captures that really well too another interesting thing that was included in this book was so I didn't realize this but he has a huge reputation for being like just kind of a dick and like a hothead and like oh there's he talks about the early days of food bloggers which was kind of interesting because prior to that it was you know you were kind of relying on the same smaller community of newspaper um, restaurant reviewers but then he talks about food bloggers coming onto the scene and like the average joe just being able to write you know about any visit to your restaurant and he reads some of the early reviews he got like I I guess he has this reputation of just kind of being like 
a borderline abusive boss and Momofuku had an open kitchen. And so there was a food blogger in the early days who wrote about the terrible experience of like him just tearing one of his employees apart about like every last thing and like the discomfort of all of the diners. It, so it was interesting to hear him kind of like unpack some of that. He, as he's going through all of this, he's really like opening up more and more about his various mental health struggles, his anger issues and like the roots of all of that and the ways he just like wasn't taking care of himself at all. I felt like that was kind of an interesting side of restaurant business I guess that you don't hear about or I don't know I feel like that's a common thing that I've heard just from like have you guys seen the movie chef I was just gonna say this reminds me of the plot of chef kind of he like blows up Mm -hmm. on like a reviewer in front of everyone and then like there's this movie called I think it's called burnt with Bradley Cooper and he plays a chef that's like so nasty to his employees and I don't know Hollywood has kind of given me this impression of being in um, a high-end kitchen as being like definitely scary yes well and what's his name who now has TikTok and is like oh Gordon Ramsay Gordon Ramsay yes like I meant I guess I meant more the side of like hearing from the chef who is doing the blowing up and like he he wasn't really trying to justify that behavior and it, he was almost like, I don't know. It was interesting to hear him talk about it because like I said, his tone throughout was so uh, self-deprecating and like borderline nihilistic. So he kind of like reflects back on the recklessness that with which he was managing all of his staff back then. I don't know. I, I guess approaches it with the kind of hindsight mm-hmm view of like obviously why it wasn't okay what maybe should have happened why it did happen that kind of thing so it was interesting to to listen to I thought I have a Momofuku related question is it still associated with milk bar like the dessert yeah so she oh I'm blanking on I was just thinking but he talks about how she worked there because she was and the then, de- dessert chef at Momofuku. Yeah, and then split off and started Milk Bar. And yeah, I think they're still affiliated. It sounded like it in the memoir. And that was cool too. He, I thought it was like clear he takes such pride in not maybe the work he does because his self-deprecation is like really ingrained, but the work of like, you know, various sous chefs he's hired or like other chefs who have worked for him or with him in the past and who have gone on to great things like he speak he just like you can tell he thinks of all of these former um co-workers with like such high esteem and that was sweet to hear I don't know I just love like camaraderie in these kind of like niche mm-hmm. communities I feel okay I feel like also I kind of went all over the place the biggest takeaway for me was just like how much more than a chef's memoir it was because he gets so open about his own struggles with mental health and then this industry specifically and why it can be so hard on people with certain mental health struggles or maybe why it even attracts people with specific you know character traits that I think are more extreme or more maybe intense than other industries I don't know it's an industry that so many people are passionate about and hearing him talk specifically about it was refreshing because he is very much like not a frilly guy like I mentioned earlier so it's kind of just like raw passion and like just genuine love for good food even if it's not the best food if that makes sense I I recommend it if you are looking for something chefy and good what did you what did you rate it i gave it five stars oh yeah a five star read yeah to start off the episode also i recommend listening you know he's definitely not like an audiobook narrator like he's a a chef but i felt like some of the inflections and and things came through in a cool way 
Nice. That was Eat a Peach by David Chang. Kayla, what did you read? Switching gears completely. Um, I read Long Bright River by Liz Moore. Finally, this is one of those books that even when I bought it, I was like, I'm not reading. I'm not going to read this right now. I think because when it first came out, there was so much hype around it. And I thought that this that I'd owned it for like years, but it turns out it came out in January 2020. I think just pandemic years or longer. So it's really only been like a year and a half, but I'm glad that I read it when I did. And I'm going to get into that at the end. So content warning for this book and for things I might I'm going to be talking about heavy drug use, overdose, addiction, death. This is really like a heavy, grim book. It's not a happy read. I found myself having to kind of put it down at times just because it seemed like too much at once, which isn't something I ever really have to do. So I think if like I was kind of like disturbed and upset by it, then most people will be also. So you open this book and the first page is a list of names that the main character, you end up finding out like the main character wrote that. And it's all the people she knows that have died of an opioid overdose. And it was just very jarring to read right away and really kind of set up what we're getting into. But if I had to tell you just in one sentence what Long Bright River is about, I would say it's a story equally of sisterhood and then the realities of the opioid crisis that we've been seeing. So our main character is Mickey. She's from a town kind of just outside of Philly that has been rocked by the opioid epidemic. And it kind of seems like they're trying to rebuild. There's like, she talks about like new fancy coffee shops coming in, but the drugs are still very prevalent in this community. And it seems like it was an issue there before like the opioid epidemic was even coined as a term. So she's from this really big Irish American family, which I was so able to relate to. But she was raised by her grandmother, G, after her mother overdosed when she was very young and her dad kind of just fled. So they grew up extremely poor and Mickey was, she always felt like a bit of an outcast, specifically within her family, but then also with kids at school. She was extremely shy, but super smart. And we end up learning that she really connected with a teacher later on in high school who helped her realize that she is smart enough to get into college and that she can move away for a college and change her life. And she kind of saw herself becoming a teacher, maybe like the teacher who inspired her. But one one thing leads to another, you find out all of this. And she ends up becoming a police officer in the same town where she grew up. So most of her extended family either they use drugs or they're selling or like somehow involved in that world and they don't really love the fact that she's a cop so she's like 1000% the black sheep of this family someone who isn't the black sheep is her sister Casey so Mickey and Casey are only I think it's under two years apart and they were absolutely inseparable growing up like they slept in the same bed their whole lives and she Casey even though she's younger was always the more outgoing one like Mickey tells stories of when they were in school and like someone would say something mean to her and Casey would like punch them and like they got kicked out of so many schools because Casey was like always like fighting off bullies and kind of like standing up for what's right but when she's a teenager she starts sneaking out and Mickey knows every time she does because they sleep in the same bed and we end up finding out that she started experimenting with drugs and just has been unable to quit them ever since then. So as the book opens, we're with Mickey in her patrol car with her new partner. You, She had a partner that like is out on injury and that is kind of a whole subplot I'm not going to really touch on. But she's with this new guy and she hates him because he doesn't stop talking. And they're driving down the Ave, which is known to be a block where like sex workers are. So as they're driving down, she's keeping an eye out for Casey. You find out like right away that they haven't spoken in five years because some huge event slash fight happened. But every day when Mickey's like 
out for work she keeps an eye out for Casey you find out like she's always asking around about her just making sure that she's safe and that she's okay but she hasn't seen Casey in a few months and she's worried so as they're driving down the Ave they like a call a police call comes in that a body was found so they drive to the scene and the EMTs like take their time showing up it the victim was a young girl and they're like it was an overdose right away like kind of being like very careless even though this was like a person that died but Mickey is like wait hold on her blood vessels are burst or something like that and she's like this is a homicide now so this turns out to be the first in a string of sex workers who turned up murdered around the Ave and at the same time her sister is missing so she's kind of freaking out Mickey really doesn't think that her department is doing enough to investigate what's going on. So she kind of takes the investigation into her own hands when like they've brought in people from a different county. Like I want to say maybe FBI was involved, but Mickey's like, no, I'm investigating this on my own while she's searching for her sister. So the book turns into then alternating timelines labeled now and then and you start in the past growing up in this community that was heavily affected by drugs as watching as Casey gets into it Mickey like her whole childhood and teenagers were very interesting to read about and then in the current one you're following her through these investigations um through the current day so when I read this I posted and I was like I was able to relate to this book in a way I like really didn't expect. So not to make this all about me, but I'm making it about me, even though it's not really about me. But so I don't really talk about this because it's like super personal. And I also feel like it weirdly isn't my story. Like it's really like my mom's story. So like growing up, I didn't know my mom's family. She's the youngest of six until last summer. I got like emotional talking about this. So she was only in contact with like two of her siblings and that was even like touch and go. Like in September, I literally met one of my aunts for the first time. And this book literally could have been about my mom and my aunt Kathy. I can't believe I'm getting so like emotional, but like there are parts where Mickey's like so mad at Casey, but she's, she's so mad at her, but she's so worried. And she's like, doing everything she can to like save her from herself almost and I was reading this and I'm like this is my whole life like watching my mom worry about her sister and it's just like I can't believe sorry (laughs) like no it's okay I've never ever seen even on a tv show or a movie like that relationship played out so even just the whole part of like how Mickey was like an outcast from her family like I mentioned earlier that my mom on an earlier episode, my mom adopted my cousin. Like that was my aunt Kathy's son. Like all my memories of my aunt are about like my mom trying to like take care of her and pretty much save her. And like, even though my mom was like much younger than her, not to like get into particulars. Cause I'm like kind of scared of some of her family, but if I've never been able to like articulate to anyone what, my mom's family is like but like if you have read this book I can be like yeah like that is what like she came from and kind of like kept us away from and okay so this is when I'm gonna get like email like last summer my aunt died of an overdose and there was like so much shame around it which I think is so fucked up and that's why I wanted to talk about this because like reading this I had such like a visceral reaction because it really laid out like Like, addiction is a horrible disease, and, like, this epidemic is so horrible, but I feel like people really, like, look down on it. Like, I was almost embarrassed, like, talk about how my aunt died, which is so fucked up, because, like, she was, like, a person, and, like, my mom and her, like, had a really bad falling out about my cousin, but, like, that was her sister, and, like, they were best friends growing up the way that the characters in this book were, so it was just, like, so crazy to see that relationship played out and then it also made me realize like this is something we shouldn't be ashamed about we should talk about more and I was talking to someone on bookstagram about it and we like she was able to relate in the same way I was and we kind of said like it feels strange to say it was nice to read 
like to see this representation and like read these horrible things but like it did kind of feel nice to like see these kinds of stories represented and I think it's important that we tell them and like I don't know it kind of made me view my aunt as a whole in a different way and especially her death and my mom's relationship with her and it really like felt like a bit of like healing so that's why I'm glad I read it when I did like not before my aunt passed away but yeah and then I just wanted to quickly say that Long Bright River has the most beautiful double meaning and I just wanted to share it. So the first time it comes up, she refers to the Long Bright River of your vein when they're talking about someone like injecting. And then at the end, she lists those names again and she refers to it as the Long Bright River of souls that we've lost moving on to their next life. So I just thought that was like really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I obviously give it five stars. I will be thinking about this forever. I'm so happy I finally picked it up. And yeah, that was Long Bright River by Liz Moore. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it's very strange because I kind of like, I just say like my mom's family is like wild, but like it doesn't always feel like it's my story to share, but I think it, I hope someone listening can relate and like that story is important and you should share it. Emily, what did you read? Something really different than either of the books you guys talked <laughs> about. Um, so I want to talk about The Prestige by Christopher Priest, which came out a long time ago in 1995. Um, and I did this over audiobook, and I think it's a really wow. good audiobook. So I recommend it in that format. I picked this up because I wanted something in the vein of Night Circus. I had done Night Circus on audiobook, and I liked the, I don't know, like the gothic turn of the century magic Moulin Rouge vibes and I wanted something similar and this book didn't disappoint so it opens up actually in modern London or 1995 London on a journalist called Andrew Wesley and he's following up on a story that he's writing about a religious cult from California living in this manor estate, think like Downton Abbey, and you know at the end of the show they kind of have to start renting out rooms because they can't afford the upkeep of a big manor house. So similar situation, um, a cult living in a manor. A couple things about Andrew are that around this time he received like a book or really a journal from about a man who worked as an illusionist in the late 1800s named Alfred Borden. And Andrew isn't sure, like, who sent this book. And there was, like, no note attached to it. And he was just kind of like, okay, thanks. First, the the book doesn't mean much, but then he's thinking about it. And the, the last name is important to him because the other thing about Andrew is he was adopted as a small kid and Borden is the surname of his birth family. And then the other kind of weird thing about Andrew is he's always had this feeling, you know, like an intuition that he's had a long lost twin somewhere. Like he's always been really sure of it. He's just felt this psychic connection to a weird twin. And he's like gone through his adoption records and there's no note of a twin or brother or any other sibling um, but Andrew has always felt this like twinge of psychic intuition. So Andrew rolls up to this house um, with a weird cult to interrogate an incident where like a woman was may have been ill or something. And then the cult leader kind of tried to heal her when she should have gotten medical help. And, um, he's writing for like a Guardian type newspaper and no one's home. And they kind of like, cold shoulder shoulder this journalist um as most cults would i imagine <laughs> and he's panicking because this could be a big story for him and he's about to leave the house when the ancestral owner of the house a lady kate Angier, stops him and says oh you're andrew did you get my book and andrew's like what like what do you mean that was you She's like, uh, yes, don't you remember me? Our families uh, go, you know, way back. And Andrew's like, uh, who are you, strange lady in this house? And Kate's like, well, I wasn't sure how to reach out to you, but I thought you'd want to know what happened to your brother. 
And Andrew's like, whoa. Record scratch. What? I thought she was going to say, I'm your sister. (laughs) No, she's like, don't you want to know about your brother? So then Lady Kate kind of launches into this long history of a blood feud between the Borden and Angier families. And remember this illusionist, Alfred Borden? That's where the blood feud starts. So it turns out he had a competitor in his field of magics and illusions. And this man's name was Rupert Angier. And they're both trying to change kind of the field of illusion and stage performance with their most impressive trick, which I can't remember the exact name off the top of my head. It only popped up a million times. Um, and it was called like the transported man. So think like a disappearing person and they pop up off stage somewhere. Wait, I have a question. Sure. This is the the movie? The I was just thinking that. Well, I was gonna talk about the at the, the end. prestige? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know it was based, based on, on this a book. book. Oh. It's based on a book, and I halfway through the book, the like IMDb short description is kind of a spoiler. Like I like where the book enters, so I'm gonna tell everybody to, you know, like listen to the book first because I like the way the premise is laid out. It I didn't get that from like the trailers or anything. I didn't know that there were like modern people because that's really how the book launches launches you into the past. The we're talking about the Prestige. Yeah, yep. this is old. Yeah, it's old. This oh, well, I think they changed Scarlett a Johansson lot for movie. the movie. Yeah. Well, I so, just the, the trick, and that's what. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and like the battle um, between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we could get into. I mean, the there is a movie that was made <laughs> in two thousand five or something. Six. Six, and I'm on the IMDb, it was directed by Christopher Nolan from you know Dark Knight fame, and you know with some of his fan faves like Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman and ScarJo and David Bowie. David Bowie's in this? Yeah. Okay, go ahead with your bad self, <laughs> Mr. It's a really Christopher good Christopher Nolan. Um I'm watch this. I'll watch it. Any hoosies. So the novel then dives into like the epistle epistolary, you know, like a letter segments. What's that? Epistolary. Word? Epistolary, thank you, of both Alfred Borden and Rupert Anger, kind of originating their sides of the story about this long blood feud. I'm also the type of person who is fascinated by like stage magic. I always want to know how it's done. I don't know if you remember a TV show where there was a guy in a mask who unveiled like all the big magic tricks, and I thought it was fascinating. So some of the you know, science or trickery behind the illusion is talked about through Alfred Borden's perspective because he's very like, oh, you know, there's um, a mastery to it. There's a precision. He has a very scientific mind about his discipline. And Rupert Angier is more of like a blurring of reality and mediums. And he leaned heavily into seances and, you know, smoke and mirrors and stuff and very aware of his performance and so to get their two perspectives on the field of magic was really cool and I also like that it is such a small field you know that that's the big joke about magicians is you can't really it's not a joke they they don't want to reveal their tricks because it's their livelihoods (laughs) and because they'd each know who did it you know like they would it's a small field so if someone spills the beans it comes back around and you're gonna have a hard time getting a job kind of thing And in my eyes, at least, this setting was a very golden age of magic. Like, picture dusty red curtains and kind of like the Phantom of the Opera ambiance. And, you know, we were at a time where there wasn't internet and and no real science. So everything felt very impressive. And it seems like both men were really good at what they did. They deployed you know, like Tesla coils. I um, was going to say, there's a Tesla element to this. Yeah, and I don't know if you've been around Tesla coils, but even as a person who understands what's happening, it's it's very, like, affecting. You're like, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> loud sound. <laughs> um, beyond just the, like, tricks of it, the personal differences was really 
fascinating as well. Like lots of twists. There's romance, revenge, betrayal, murder. You know, a little bit of sci-fi elements because by the end of it, you're kind of questioning, well, is magic real? Dot, dot, dot. And I did like the back and forth timelines. And uh, I think I I haven't watched the movie, but it seems like even from reading the IMDb page, they kind of really hone in on the past timeline. But the idea of having the modern day perspective and how this like little dispute, which basically originates out of nowhere, <laughs> it's like these two guys crossed paths and it ruined their lives forever. And I liked having the modern day because they're what three generations removed and it's still affecting them or at least is family folklore type thing. I thought that was really cool. I also learned a new word, which was really fun over my British uh, narrator's voice. It's a prestidigitarian, (laughs) someone who deploys the prestige. The prestige is a magic turn for like the big trick. So, wow. Learned a lot. Um, If science (laughs) fails me, I'll just go ahead and be a magician. I think even to this day, they don't really let women do that. But, <laughs> you know, backup career. You got to pave the way. Yeah. That was the prestige. Yeah. I'm sorry. I I kept repeating, this is the prestige. I totally missed you saying that the book was called The Prestige. I thought the movie was called something different. I'm sorry for being Well, there were listener. two magician movies. You were both like, this sounds really familiar. Isn't that <laughs> The Prestige? And I was like, yes. Yes, well, it is no, adapted I knew from that this novel. And you guys were like, but The Prestige, this sounds exactly I knew that you said it was the movie. title, but then you said 95. So I was like, okay, it must not be the movie. That's what threw me, too. It's not the movie. Mo- mean, I just didn't know the movie the was based on a book. Sometimes books get published, and it takes a little bit of time to get the movie made. Oh, so I think it took some time <laughs> to get the Is that how publishing works, Emily? You know, I would probably know more than most. <laughs> Wait, but so you haven't seen the movie? No, but you're right. There was like a different movie. I remember the marketing. There was also yeah. another magic movie. The Magician. Around this time too. And I can't remember. No, no, oh, no. The Magician. No. With, that um, was 1958. The guy who played Batman. Oh, oh that's this. Sorry. Um, that's the guy this. who played. <laughs> oh, God. This is going to take too long. Never mind. You're thinking of The Illusionist. Illusionist. The Illusionist. You're right. What's that? Not to be confused with The Illusionist who had... Jessica Biel, yeah. Edward Norton. Wait, I but all I these didn't right? like the prestige of the movie, but I just had no idea it was even a book at any point. So now I'm like, what? But really, don't even read the IMDb description because their their thing that happens was like a big oh. spoiler around the fifty percent mark of the book. Oh. Like, you're there's so much mystery and suspense and atmosphere in this. You're like not getting a lot of answers right away but you can kind of see the big picture and then everything kind of wraps up into one because i'm like it's like magic is already a mystery and both both of the illusionists value its secrecy like it gives them power and that's what they're going after is the clout that comes with being a accomplished illusionist what did you rate it uh four four stars that was the prestige by Christopher Priest. Becky, what'd you read? Okay, so I read Is This Anything by Jerry Seinfeld, which came out in October of 2020. I actually listened to it on audiobook. I don't think that there's any other way one should enjoy this book other than over audiobook. I think by now listeners know I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. It's literally on my dating apps that my love language is Seinfeld quotes. <laughs> so I was really excited to see that he had a new book coming out. Um, I waited for a long time to get it um, from the New York Public Library on Libby and I finally did. So this is exciting. I went into the book having read a few Goodreads reviews, and I'm actually glad I did. Usually I'm not very glad I did that, but this time I am, because I really thought this was a memoir, and it is definitely not a memoir, and I think I I just want everybody to know that if you didn't already know. It's split up by decades, spanning his whole 45-plus year career. At the beginning of each section, you get this like short little highlight into his life um, at the time, so it'll be like, the 70s and then it kind of explains him 
first, you know, kind of getting into wanting to like move to New York City from Long Island and like all of that. And then it'll in the 90s, it's like, oh, I remember specifically sitting at the writer's table with Larry David and being like, "Ah, I don't really care about the actual things that are happening in this episode. I just want to write the dialogue. And little tidbits like that. And you're probably thinking, oh, this kind of sounds memoir-y, doesn't it? Well, the rest of the book is just jokes. Jerry kept all of the jokes he's ever written, and he wrote them down on a yellow legal pad, and then he filed them all away. And I think this is pretty well known about him that he does this, but this book is literally every single joke that he's ever written in his 45-plus year career. I think the book, it's like 450 pages long. They're like one-line jokes? They're like his classic jokes. So like some of them are longer where he'll be like, what's what's the deal with, um, you know, the all those symbols on the tag for the laundry and like goes into his whole thing. But the... Th- oh my God, his laundry thing is where he lost me. When he was talking about the socks going off and running off together in the dryer, I was that like... That joke is in there. I think I'm in a different place than Jerry. That joke is in there, so... <laughs> Emily doesn't approve. (laughs) (laughs) You don't really get much new memoir info about him in those little snippets that are in the book. Um, If you've listened to his Mark Maron episode or if you followed his career kind of at all, then you know pretty much everything he's sharing. Outside of some of these jokes that I think I understood it to be some of them are unheard. Like they're just like in the backlog of jokes he's never told, which some of them listening to it, I was like... Huh, that should probably have stayed in, in your uh, <laughs> never before shared. It's not that funny. But a lot of them are his classics. A lot of them are his like classic style. And I mean, all of them are. Um, and some of them you'll recognize from the beginning or end of Seinfeld episodes. Like there were a few where I was like, I could probably repeat this with him because I've heard it so many times on the beginning of a Seinfeld episode. Um, but it would be kind of like the extended version or like it worked out for a different setting. So you kind of hear him. It's almost like you're he- you're sitting down and you're hearing him try out material in a way um, because that's kind of where the title comes from. Is this anything I guess is like this saying that all comics use to each other like they come up with a new joke and they say, hey, is this anything? And then they tell the joke to their fellow comic friend to see if it like is anything. <laughs> For example, one of the jokes that I heard in there that I've heard a million times that always cracks me up is when he talks about um, how when you're rooting for a sports team, you're not actually rooting for the the team or the players. You're rooting for the shirts because the players leave, but the shirts stay the same. And that always cracks me up because every time I buy a jersey, the player leaves the team and I'm (laughs) stuck with the jersey. I also think a fun part of this book is I heard bits that and jokes that I had never heard before that ended up being whole episodes of Seinfeld and I could tell by being a Seinfeld fan like he mentioned he'll mention something and then I'm like wait a minute this was an entire like plot point on multiple episodes so that's an interesting (laughs) thing for Seinfeld fans I will say it's kind of weird to listen to this book in ways because it's a bunch of fragmented stand-up bits. So it's not like a fully fleshed out stand-up performance where like there's kind of a beginning, middle, end and like a flow between them. It's like the way this book is structured is like I said, the different decades. But then in between each joke, there's this like random British computer voice that'll just like say the title of the joke. So like for the um, basketball or not basketball, but like sports one I just mentioned, the little voice was like rooting for laundry and then he would tell the joke and then it's like that through the whole thing so I'll say it's kind of weird to listen to a fragmented um, stand-up performance and it's also I never realized how important the aspect of like being in a crowd of people also laughing is necessary for stand-up to be as funny as it is and like his stuff working almost better I mean, in his stand-up, but also in the context of a Seinfeld episode where it's when it's pulled out and just kind of like, here's a list of all the jokes. It's a little bit different. I thought it was interesting. Like I said, I would recommend listening to it because he tells it 
but I would buy it as like a coffee table book, but I wouldn't, I can't imagine sitting down and actually like reading this cover to cover just based on like what the context of it is. This sounds like I didn't like it. (laughs) I also wouldn't recommend sitting down and listening to it like beginning to end because that's kind of like you're sitting through a seven plus hour stand up (laughs) situation where no one else around you is laughing. (laughs) So I would say this book is great. For like if you're at work and you need like a pick me up and you want to like play it just to like get a giggle in between like, you know, something that you're working on. Because after a while, it's definitely tiring to hear Jerry Seinfeld telling very fragmented <laughs> jokes throughout hours <laughs> long. But um, well, he's got a very soothing he, voice. I do agree with that. <laughs> I think he's fun. Did he? Okay, dumb question about Seinfeld. Was he the writer on the show? Like, he wrote every script? Him and Larry David. And then sometimes other people joined in. But yeah, him and Larry David wrote them. Which is why if you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, you'll see kind of things that happened on Seinfeld play out in a different way because Larry David also took things from his own life to put it in there. I also think it's extremely classic Jerry Seinfeld to have three books that exist. And one of them's a children's book, so I'm not going to count that. Two books that exist that are about nothing. <laughs> like he has, he's famous for having a show about nothing. And then he writes these two books that are about pretty much nothing because they're just his jokes. And I really want him to just write a memoir <laughs> so I can read that. Like, <laughs> If I hadn't read that Goodreads review that said, this is just his jokes, I would have gone into it and been disappointed because I thought it was a memoir. And then finding out it wasn't, I was like, oh, that's a bummer, but I think it's still going to be fun. And then I went into it with the mindset of like, oh, this is going to be like cool hearing all of his jokes like this. And it totally was, but I had to know that (laughs) if that makes sense. Um, I feel like I'm rambling, so I'm just going to say I don't really know how to rate this because I don't think it's a traditional book. Like I said, it's a book about nothing. <laughs> um, but in terms of overall enjoyment, I'm going to give it a four. Does he say them all with his like typical inflection? Like, you know. Yeah, he does. But also the energy of a live performance of stand up is not there. Right. Okay. I really do think it felt like you're sitting down with your comedian friend and he's trying out material on you. That's kind of fun. It was also cute. He mentioned that like in the intro that like comedians chase the high of the laugh that they hear from the audience. And he mentioned right before he goes into the joke portion He's really upset that he doesn't get to hear everyone laugh at all the jokes in the book, which was cute. Mm. But I was cracking up at my desk a lot. Like, and somebody was like, what? What's so funny? And I was like, oh, I'm listening to Jerry Seinfeld's book. And they were like, oh, okay. So I recommend it to any Seinfeld fan. What was it called? Is this anything by Jerry Seinfeld? I have to say it in the question. Is that your impression? No, he, but it's like. When he announced, like, or when he says the title in the audiobook, he says it like that. Like, is this anything? Not just like, is this anything by Jerry Seinfeld. So, I don't know. (laughs) Wait, so what's it called? Not in the British voice. (laughs) Do you just want to hear me say, is this anything by Jerry Seinfeld? (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. Got it. Uh, Becky. What's up next for you? No. Oh, no. What's in your TBR? On my my I'm never going to get used to it. On my TBR is... The book that I bought from Rough Draft in Kingston, Shadow Play by Joseph O'Connor. Woo! Libby, what's on your TBR? Mine's actually something I also got in Kingston, which means that I'm not sticking with my goal of only one book per month, but I just want the <laughs> listeners to know that I'm just not going to buy a book in June and July to balance. Anyway, it's uh, Ruby Fruit Jungle by Rita Mae Brown. Uh, Kayla, what is on your TBR? I always, sorry, it, it messes me up, this new thing. Just okay. say the title of the book. Um, on my TBR, yeah, but I, I don't know why I can't do that. <laughs> I need to say something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mine is Realm Breaker by Victoria Aviard. Last summer, I covered the first book in her Red Queen series, and today, on the day of recording, it was announced that it's being made into a show for Peacock, and the author wrote the first wow. episode. And she's going to be heavily involved. So I'm actually really excited because um, 
I didn't love that series at a whole. It got like extremely battle heavy, but I think it actually could translate really well to TV. So I'm excited about that. And to start off this new YA fantasy series too. Emily? Um, I think a similar book to this would be The Queen of the Night by Alexander Chi. It's got like the opera lady on the front. I want to read that. Well, on the internet, Easy <laughs> <Lazy> Library. <laughs> Great. I'm at Becky in the bookshelves. I'm at Sleep Run Read Repeat. I'm at K Red What, and you can find all of us at Books in the City Pod. Make sure you're using our hashtag My Books in the City and tagging us whenever you post something we've inspired you to read or with our merch. We've been seeing some new koozie picks. Very exciting. Head to our website, booksinthecitypod.com, for all of the things. Join our fan club for fun things and the book club. Um, follow us on Twitter at BHTCPod, like our Facebook page, Books in the City Podcast. And, oh, follow, subscribe, whatever it is you have to do on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Leave us a rating or a review. I went out of order today and it really messed me up. Um, and I think that's if everything. If you're still here, let us know if you're coming to our um, end of summer meetup. Yeah. But that's not what you should put. What should they do? A sun. A sun. <laughs> Leave us a sun for the sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We're, We're a mess. mess Thank you to our Carrie level producers, Diane Worth, Riley Harrell, Carrie Kissinger, Brenna Collins, Amanda Borgia, Elizabeth Jamka, and Susie Southwick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Love you. Okay, bye.